2. And we're just going to look at three verses this morning, um, verses 8 to 10. Uh, and I'm reading from the NIV version. So in Ephesians 2, verse 10, verse 8, sorry, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I'll just read the same passage in a different version, not one I particularly welcome, but I think sometimes it shows a different perspective, and that's from the message. Uh, we read, all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It is God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So we are looking at this particular section, and I think that this section from Ephesians is really crucial for us in terms of helping us understand the message that we are communicating to people that don't know Jesus. This passage is absolutely crucial. And I wonder sometimes whether when people uh, reject the gospel or reject Jesus, I wonder if that's what they're really doing. Are they rejecting the fact that we've never communicated it correctly? You know, in my own work as a, as a head teacher, one of the things I'm constantly saying to my staff is, is, can we please do the proper analysis of why this problem is the way it is? Because what in schools, and I think government do this as well, they often come up with a solution and then try and work it back and try and show you how that solution meets the problem. Why don't we just do it the right way around? Let's ask ourselves, what is the problem? If this child is underachieving, why are they underachieving? Because I know what happens. I'm a drama teacher. Somebody knocks on my door and says, oh, Mr. Stocker, can we have Peter, please? So I say, oh, why is that? Oh, he needs to do some more English and maths. Or does he really? Right, okay. Well, please take him out, because actually this is his most favourite subject. This is the one day in the week when he walks into my lesson and thinks, yes, it's Mr Stockhill. Well, he didn't say that, but, um, you know. But yes, you know. Oh, but by the way, do put, or normally do drama or PE, because they don't matter anyway, and we'll do some more English. Why? Well, he's underachieving in English. Right? So what's the problem? I've just said he's underachieving in English. What's the problem? He's underachieving. Can we ask the question, why? You know, why is that? Because when we get to the why, we might actually come up with an interesting solution. And we might actually get the right solution. And I think that when we're preaching the gospel, people will get saved when they understand their condition and their standing before God. And our responsibility is to make that clear. Do you realise if you were to stand before God in the current state that you're in, you're in deep trouble? That's what our message has to be. And, and Pastor Phil very clearly a couple of weeks ago talked about the, the condition in which we find ourselves. And that previously, you know, two things are stated. First of all, we're dead. And Pastor Phil made, you know, great pains to understand that we're dead. 
And that's exactly what we are. And if, if you actually understand that you are dead, you recognize that something has to happen. Now, if you, if you know your Bibles well, you will know that in the Bible, there are eight times when people are resurrected from the dead. Eight times in the whole Bible. The first one is Elijah, who raised the widow of Zarephath's son. The second is Elisha, who raised the Sunamite's son. Jesus raised three people, the widow of Nain's son, Lazarus, and Jairus' daughter. Peter raised Tabitha. Paul raised Eutychus. And God raised Jesus. On eight occasions, people were raised. And do you know what joins them all in common? It's this. They had to be raised by somebody else. All of them had to be brought alive by somebody else. Because do you know what? You can't bring yourself alive. You cannot resurrect yourself. And so if you are that kind of false prophet that says, in a few years' time, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I will bring myself alive again. No, you won't. Because if you are able to bring yourself alive again, you weren't dead. It's physically impossible to bring yourself alive again. If you die and you want to be resurrected, I'm not sure why anybody would, but if you want to be resurrected, you're going to need somebody else to do it for you. Because that's the nature of being dead. And that's the message that we need to communicate with people. Because if you are dead, you recognize that you need to be raised again. And you recognize that nothing else will do. And all the other solutions just won't work. So the first you know, condition that we do have to understand for ourselves is that we're dead. And then we've heard that we're, we're under God's wrath. Now, we come to this particular um, passage and we are focusing on grace. Now, if I were to do a word association and said, here's a piece of paper, here's a pen, I'm going to say a word, you write the first word that comes down into your head, and you're all poised, and I say, grace, everybody goes, amazing. That's what goes down, I'm telling you. Now, I am going to shock you this morning, um, because I'm going to tell you, or try to convince you, that grace is not actually amazing. Oh, my word. Now, I knew that that's the reaction, and so I came in early, and I have put a red building brick under each of your chairs so that at any point you feel free to stone me as a false prophet, okay? But give me a minute. I know you're looking. Uh, it was just a kind of joke, but, it, you know. Um, but give me, hear me out and then decide, because it's, it's a big ask, isn't it? Hang on, Jez. John Newton said... Amazing grace. Jez Stockhill says, grace isn't that amazing. Do you know what? I think I'll go with John Newton. Uh, and even this morning, we sang, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Galilee and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean, I think. Do you really stand there and are shocked that Jesus loves you. <laughs> are you really shocked at that? Am I the only one who stands there and thinks, I'm not shocked. I am not shocked one bit that Jesus loves me. I am not amazed. I am not astonished. 
What, that Jesus loves us? I tell you what, guys, it's not that amazing. Because at the heart of this word amazing is the kind of concept of being surprised or shocked or astonished. And I am none of those. Now, just to put the record straight, I was amazed once. I have been amazed at God's grace once in my life. That was when I was 18. And I used to be in a choir. I used to have a nice voice in those days. Um, and we'd often go to the pub at the end of a, a night's service, as you do in a choir. And one night, my mates didn't turn up. And a group of young people said that they were going to this meeting down in Bradford. So I thought, well, I'll go with them. And I did. And for being in that church for eight years in my life, nobody had ever preached the gospel once. And when I went down there, I had somebody stand at the front and tell me that Jesus Christ had died for my sins and that I could have a relationship with God. And I was amazed. I was shocked. I was astonished. I was astounded. And that evening, I went home and I laid down by my bed and I gave my life to Jesus. That's virtually 40 years ago. And that is the only moment in my life I have been amazed at God's grace. And I never have been since. Now, how can that work out? Because for me, when I gave my life to Jesus, I got to know God. And when I got to know God, I got to realize that this is what God does. God saves people if you brought somebody into church this morning and you've been praying them for for years that they would give their life to Jesus and they did would we have a coffee at the back and go oh that's shocking oh that's amazing that's astonishing who'd have thought that that you bring somebody to church they hear the gospel and they give their life to Jesus well that's a one-off it's none of those things it's God it's God who does that stuff and he does it all the time and he wants to do it all the time. And he don't want us to have that kind of, oh, didn't see that coming. What didn't you see coming? That when people hear the gospel that Jesus saves them, I love it. I get so excited, but I'm not surprised. I'm not amazed. I'm not astonished. It's God. Now let me try and give you that example. Some years ago, I went to uh, my favourite curry restaurant and I was with Bev and we went in and we saw some friends of ours that were there. So we had a little chat with them. They were halfway through their meal <clears throat> and then we went and had our meal. And at the end, they came over to us and said goodbye and then they left. And then when we finished our meal, I went to pay and this, the guy who I know really well said, it's amazing. I said, what's amazing? He said, that man that was sat over there, he has paid for your meal. He said, that's amazing. I said, that's not amazing. He does it all the time. He has a reputation. And I'll tell you who he is, so that if you're ever in a restaurant, you know it's, it's coming your way. But he does that all the time. Now, he'd never done it to me before. And so I sit outside his gate regularly to see where he's going next. But it's not amazing. He does it all the time. 
God saving people is not amazing. And I think sometimes we limit, you know, I'm trying to be kind of light-hearted about this, but underneath it all, I feel quite passionate about this because I think that sometimes this concept of God surprisingly saving people actually sells the church short because we don't have an expectation that God will save. And when he does, we all go, oh, a one-off. We haven't seen that for years. It's not surprising. And it's not surprising because Pastor Phil made it clear last week, God is rich in mercy. He's loving and he's gracious. It is not surprising. It is not shocking. And I've never, ever, in all my 40 years of walking with Christ, been amazed that God loves me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that I'm lovable. (laughs) I am far from lovable. But that doesn't cause me to be shocked that God loves me. It just causes me to realise how amazing God is. You know, I look at myself and all my shortcomings and all my failings, but it does not lead me to the conclusion that it's amazing that God loves me. Not at all. It just reminds me how amazing, if I dare use that word, God is, that God is such a loving God that actually loving me with all my difficulties and all my shortcomings is not difficult at all. It is for those people that live around me. I get that. But it's not difficult for God to love me. It doesn't cause him any difficulty. And if you were to take the most unlovable person, we sing it, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. It doesn't matter how vile you are, God's not in heaven thinking, oh, this is a hard one. (sighs) You guys don't know what I know about him. Oh, this is a hard one. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Don't matter how vile you are or how not vile you are, that's not the issue. The issue is that you're dead anyway. There's no degrees of death. There's no some people that are more dead than others. If you're dead, you're dead. And you need somebody to raise you from the dead and you need somebody to give you life. You know, the Bible teaches quite clearly... God is love. For God sung of the world that he gave his only begotten son. God by nature loves. And he created the world in six days. And he continues to be creative. And so grace is to be celebrated. You know, When I come, I want to thank God that his nature is to be gracious. I want to thank God that his nature is to be loving. I want to thank God that people like me who are vile vile offenders are in God's sight and eyes lovable. I want to celebrate that. But I can't pretend I'm amazed. Because I'm not at all. God is God. How amazing is that? I keep using that word provocatively. Um, So we are saved by grace. We are saved by that incredible kindness. And the New Testament really adds this layer of the message 
Um, in the Old Testament, the message was very much about mercy, that God was a merciful God, that God would not give us what we deserve. But in the New Testament, we have that wonderful kind of revelation that not only is God merciful, and that would be enough, Honestly, if God was merciful to me, I'd be okay with that. In fact, I would be delighted. Thank you, God, for not giving me what I deserve. That would be enough for me. Um, But that God goes a stage further and not only wipes out my sin and he's merciful to me, but that he imparts his life and his resurrection life in me is a gift of grace beyond measure and I'm just blown away by that that mercy I don't want justice I really don't want justice because I will get what I deserve mercy would be sufficient but grace is to be celebrated because God gives us so much more Now, there's a wonderful example in the Old Testament from Samuel. And in Samuel, there's this wonderful story about a character called Mephibosheth. And it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 8. I'm just going to read that little passage. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked, Zebra answered, He is at the house of Machia, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machia, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, Don't be afraid, David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is that your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? But what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that that's the whole point about God. He does notice dead dogs. That's what God does. Jesus came into the world to seek and save those that are lost. That's what he came for. Now, it might be amazing for Mephibosheth because what he's expecting, which is what kings would do, is when they took the throne, they'd get rid of anybody who was remotely associated with the throne and that could be a threat. So Mephibosheth's just expecting that. He's going to come, he's going to send something, I'm going to die in the night and that's me gone. And if David had have said, 
I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you mercy. Mephibosheth would have been, thank you, that is enough. But he doesn't do that. Not only does he show mercy, but he says, come and sit and eat at my table. And that's grace. That's what God does. He comes and he gives us grace. Not only does he restrain his hand and punish us for what we deserve, but he gives us what we don't deserve. And deserving, we're not deserving of relationship and friendship with God. We don't deserve that. You know, God is merciful and God is gracious. And we celebrate that. Now, having received salvation through faith as a gift of grace, God then decides that he will set us about work. Now, as Protestants, we've always kind of got upset about this thing about grace and law and faith and works. Not to get upset about, we're just saved by grace, full stop. But when we are saved by grace, we're saved for a job. God's got stuff for you to do. Now, your work doesn't make you any more favourable to God. Here's the astounding thing. At the moment that you get saved, you are loved as much as you will ever be loved ever in your life. At that moment in time, God will not love you more. He will not love you less. As you become more holy, as you serve him more, do you know what? You don't become more lovable to God. He just loves you. That's what he does. But because he loves you, he invites you to come and share in the work of God. And that work is essentially this message about sharing the gospel with people. And as we do it, you know, if you go out at the minute, um, I'm trying to sort of jog again. So I'm doing quite a lot of jogging through Carvery Woods and stuff. And it's just stunningly beautiful at this moment in time. As you see the autumn leaves and the... It's just stunningly beautiful. And I cannot run... Well, I can't run. Um, but I cannot run without thinking about God as much as I can because normally I'm just fighting for breath. I was running the other day and a young, very athletic woman ran past me and as she got next to me and she was like about two miles behind me five seconds ago and then she was next to me. She just looked at me and she said, are you okay? <laughs> and I went... No, but I will be when I get home. Um, and, you know, it's, there's just that. But when I'm looking and I see the beauty of the creation, that is God's handiwork demonstrated to us. But the other demonstration of God's handiwork is transforming sinners into holy people. That's even more telling of God than the beauty of creation. That when God transforms the vilest offender and makes them a saint, you can go to the most beautiful sunset on the top of Pokhara if you want, but you won't see anything more beautiful than the transformation of a sinner into a saint. It does not get better than that. And when we experience that, it's at that point that people think, wow, maybe I would like to meet this Jesus too because of that transformation. But at the heart of it, is God and I you know I'm I'm just conscious that we're running away with time but I'll just leave you with when I um, 
was ahead of year many years ago now. Um, I used to do assemblies and I had, um, had this idea that I wanted to do an assembly with my year seven students. And I wanted to really kind of say something about <clears throat> how God wants us to be servants rather than masters. I was going to try and say to these young people, we all want people to do stuff for us, but maybe you could change your mindset and be a, be a servant. So I've got this really clever assembly worked out. I got two volunteers, up they came, and I said, right, in a minute, I'm going to flick a coin. One of you will become a master, one of you will become a servant, and the master, you can tell your servant to do whatever you want. Now, it seemed a good idea at the time, all right? But I don't think I'd thought it through as some of you are right now. So, and I said, are you sure you want to do this, guys? And it was Charlotte and Greg, I remember them well. Yeah, 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 we want to do it. i sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's flick the coin. Greg, you're the master. Right, okay. So what is the first thing you'd like your servant to do? Now, I, I'm, I'm thinking this is a bit of a blank check here, mate, but it, I thought he was quite restrained because he just said, I'd like her to lick my shoe. Now, I'm thinking, do you know what? You could have chosen a lot of things. I think that's all right, personally. Um, and so I said to Charlotte, well, there you go. That's your master for you. Um, just lick his shoe, then we can move on to, you know, task two. Um, and she said, I can't do that. I went, well, you don't have a choice. You're a servant. Do what you're told. She went, no, I can't do it. I went, you can't say can't. You're a servant. And so she got down on her hands and knees. And I'm looking at his shoes and I think, oh, he's walked across the fields. <laughs> oh, that's... But anyway, you know, you, you played the game. And she was mouthing to me, I can't do this. And I've got eye contact with her. And then I just watch her eyes and they fill up with the biggest tears ever. And I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> it seems such a good idea. And it's just that this... And I'm looking at her, and I'm going, Charlotte, please just lick the shoes. <laughs> and she won't, you know. So they have a really good brainwave. I then look up and I say, guys, I think Charlotte's struggling a bit with this, but she's really popular in our year group, right? She must have a friend that will come and do this for her. And I wait, and everybody looks down at the ground. And it's like, Charlotte... I, you need to rethink your friendships because it's not working for you right now. So I'm in a mess. I don't know what to do. Do I insist that, you know, and then God speaks really clearly to me. Uh, you know, don't often happen, but it did in assembly and said, you need to do it for her. Oh, oh no. Um, I said, well, you guys, you won't do it for her. So I said, in life, sometimes there are things that you cannot do for yourself and you will need another. And so, I, you know, because I'm a bit of a drama teacher, I said, Greg, would you remove your shoe, please? And he took it off. And I took it, and I licked it, and I licked the other side, and I licked the top of it. Now, he had literally walked across the fields, <laughs> and I've got little bits of grit in my mouth. Everybody, oh, oh, Mr. Stocker, we loved you till that point, but not anymore, you know. <laughs> and I just said, but do you know what? There's a really important message here, guys. 
is that in life there is one thing you cannot do for yourself and you will need another. And it's one of those things that caught because I then had that year group for another five years and regularly throughout those five years, young people would stop me and say, what is it we can't do for ourselves that we need another? You say, come here, don't tell anybody I'm telling you this. It's wrapped up with Jesus. You know, because I wanted to keep my job at that point. <laughs> but in life, there are some things. And when it comes to salvation, um, we need a saviour. When it comes to the resurrection of the body, we need Jesus to do that for us. Now, I'm not making grace cheap because I want to celebrate um, the amazing sacrifice. And we're going to do that as we finish our... So if the musicians want to come back, we're going to sing um, a hymn or song. And it's... Jesus, thank you. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. That's where we're at. Now, I don't get astonished or shocked or amazed at grace, but I do celebrate God's grace and God's love. Earlier, uh, James, when he prayed, said that something like that we'd, that God would open up our hearts, um, maybe to think slightly differently. And I hope that as I've been speaking, those sort of folded arms about grace, amazing, nah. Maybe they've unfolded, but whatever, Let's celebrate God's goodness. And then I'll finish in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that as we stand here this morning, we are not children of wrath. And neither are we dead in our sins. We're alive in Christ Jesus because of your love poured out for us. We thank you, Father, by, that by definition you are love. We thank you that that is the heart of your character. And Father God, this morning we, I recognize that it's not grace that's amazing. What is amazing is that we who've been saved don't tell other people about the grace of God. That's what's shocking. That's what's astonishing. That's what's amazing. And Father God, I pray that you'd liberate us this week, that we might just share that amazing story of mercy and grace to those that we know and love. Father, overcome our fear, overcome our anxieties, overcome any reason that would stop us and just enable us to do the work now that you have set before us from the foundation of the world and Father, I pray that we might be liberated on the understanding that we'll only get that time to do that this side of the grave. Once we're in heaven, there's no one to be saved. There's no gospel preaching to be done. Father, I pray that you'd help us take advantage of that now and share that wonderful message. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Please feel free to stay around and have a coffee.